These are the people who traded in their chips and changed their minds, all in the name of fresh air. And we're letting these folks interview each other. Each week, student becomes teacher and interviewee becomes interviewer. I'm Nick Mott, host of the show, and this is Take It From Me, the podcast from REI, your source for outdoor gear, classes, and experiences. When I think of being outside, I usually think of wild places, the desert, the high mountains, far away from roads and from people. But that's only one sort of being outside. Nature's not just far away and wild, it's in cities too. And Gregory Critchlow knows this well. He's a bike shop owner and he started his business when he was laid off from his architecture job. He took his design skills to the world of bikes. He fixes bikes and designs them from scratch and he started his shop in a historically African-American and Latino neighborhood of Denver. He wears a bow tie and overalls every day to work, and he gets around the city entirely on his own two wheels. Last episode, you heard from unprofessional climber Mo Beck. Jeez, man. Cheese and maple sugar. Mo and Gregory met at his store, Chocolate Spokes. So I'm not a bike person, but I am surrounded by bikes and the guts of bikes and like the remnant limbs of torn apart bikes, and it's like a battleground in here. <laughs> Here's Mo and Gregory talking about riding bikes in the big city. Alan said that he researched the crap out of me before our interview. And I didn't research you at all. Can you tell me a little more about Chocolate Spokes? Like why you started it, how long you've been here, what brought you to Denver, and in particular this neighborhood of Denver? I am from Colorado. I grew up out in southeast Denver, Aurora area. But then I went to graduate school in Chicago for architecture. So I am a registered architect as well. And when I was there, I had a really different experience about social equity and just seeing the, the great amount of wealth and the great amount of just the poverty that is happening in these pockets of Chicago. So when I f- finished grad school, my wife and I had to make a decision what was next. And so we decided to come back to Colorado. But I didn't want really to feel like I was running away from some of the issues that I was presented with in Chicago. And growing up here, Five Points was that neighborhood. It was the closest thing to Chicago in terms of what was really kind of what people thought you shouldn't be in. Being a person of color, I I saw that as, is that a commentary of people of color? Because that's what was primarily in Five Points at the time. And so my wife and I, we decided to move in and had a house. We have a house here. And then I worked as an architect in the neighborhood and then 2009 hit, and no one was building anything, so I had to switch. So when I had the opportunity to invest in it commercially uh, in the neighborhood, I, this is where I ended up. Yeah, so it's been six years now. I would categorize myself as an old soul. I long for spaces that are a little bit different than they are today. I mean, you know, people just look at the way I dress in a shop, right? They're like, really? But it's just going back to that time to where, you know, you went to a mechanic or whatever, and they were in a shirt and tie. They had overalls on, but they had a shirt and tie on. Uh, I have a photo of my grandfather hanging in the shop. He was a draftsman too, so he was drawing as well. But every day he wore a shirt and tie. You know, a good portion of us long for be able to go to the bakery and then go to the produce, you know, and then go to somewhere else and not just have it all in one place because that person really cares about what they're doing. How do you feel about being a role model? And I'm asking because like, as a disabled person in the public eye, whether I want to or not, people look at me as a role model. As a person of color, I've always felt in our culture, you, you do have to strive to do things at a level that is, you, you, you have to push yourself a little bit harder. You're always feeling that you have to push because you know, when you say role model, you wanna present yourself as someone that can 
be positive because unfortunately we don't see a lot of, I mean, you see that in all cultures, but you know, unfortunately in the, especially in the African American population, we're, we're looking for those people to really lead. And so, you know, I don't have an issue with doing that. It's, it's something that it's, that's why I'm here. Yeah, so it seems like you've worked on bikes all along, even when you were kind of forging the path on architecture. So there has to be some kind of relation between the two because you moved pretty seamlessly through them. So, so what is it? Well, the, the main uh, goal for the shop, especially with the architecture side, was designing and manufacturing our own frames. And so that is the kind of real connection to it. And then the other connection is, you know, we treat everybody that comes in the door like I would an architecture client. And, and the reason we were shirt and tie, that kind of thing, is... You, you want it to give it a different feel as though I, I dig it really seriously. And some people might consider bike shops just kind of this stepping stone of a position and to get to the next thing. But, you know, this is something that's viable and people are needing and wanting. And, and so it's, I, have, I had this discussion with one of the people that work in our shop uh, the other day. He's like, yeah, you know, eventually, you know, I'll graduate into a real job. I was like, well, this is a real job, right? Are you paying your bills? Are you eating? You know, those are those are very important tangibles to make it a real job. And he's, and and, and I'm coming from a point that you know, yes, I'm a rigid architect and worked in firms, and you know, real jobs aren't always what you think they are. That is the connection. Is that how can we make this? Because we kind of lost this in in our culture. You know, everybody is wants to wants to be behind a desk almost, and 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 the hands-on kind of thing is doesn't seem to be emphasized as much or it's it's to people who don't have the skill set to you know do the programming or things of that nature and it's it's not it shouldn't be that way at all what else makes you you in the full circle of who is greg well my family i live with my wife Cher, and our two kids uh jade and ego and pretty much that's what i'm here for and you talk about role model you know i'd like to see my kids not be apprehensive about engaging and and really giving everybody a fair opportunity to have the respect that they deserve, but just showing them that that I, we are here doing that and and raising them to be engaged citizens. Do you think all this all this work and outreach and sort of integration that you're doing? Do you think it's going to help make the world a better place when they're in your shoes? Well, it's funny because this conversation's come up even more than once, and especially where we are right now, and everybody's just you have to be on one side or the other, and things of this nature, and everybody's so worried. But you can only do what you can where you are. So if that makes it better for where you are, then yeah. Yeah, I think I feel the same way. There's so much more we can do with people face to face, you know, those people that we can actually touch and reach versus yelling into the echo chamber. So I wonder if one of the reasons I'm not into biking is because I'm not from a biking family. So how did you get into biking? Was it your family or did you have to discover it on your own? Uh, So I grew up playing hockey. And after my senior year of hockey, I, I left home my senior year, I played in all these competitive aspects. And I realized that that's something I just was not going to pursue further and I didn't want to. And so I had to make a big decision. And so I took a year off between high school and college or university because I just didn't know what I wanted to do. I thought I was just going to go play hockey and that would be it. And so I got a job, but I needed a little bit more freedom. So I bought a bike and that got me hooked. It was, what can I afford to buy that can get me around and that was a bike. Maybe it's because I, you're a bike guy to me. I, I cannot picture you playing hockey. <laughs> they're two very different sports. Yeah, no, they're two, two different, very, two very different personalities too. Yeah. Uh, I just wasn't, I wasn't that person anymore. So I had to, I had to make a change. I wanted to be more, 
you know, I, there's other things I wanted to engage in. And it just, it, you know, when you're so focused on one thing, you just don't have the opportunity. Yeah, biking's interesting. Climbing, you need tons of crap regardless. <laughs> but I feel like maybe there's this parallel. I also fly fish. And when you first get started, you totally believe you need like the thousand dollar rod and all the fancy flute and stuff. And I'm at the point where like, oh, I can still experience this without having to do all that. And I feel like so many people might look at cycling as a sport versus commuting, like the sport of cycling as some kind of like, I can't even bother unless I have a $2,000 bike and head to toe spandex. Yeah. Is that true? Like you can, they're like a lower barrier to entry than people oh, yeah. think maybe? Yeah, no, we see it all the time. You know, cycling doesn't have to be a high high price qualification to get into it, especially if you're using it as an everyday. I mean, if you're trying to use it as a sport, like you got to really evaluate what's, how far you want to go in that sport. You know, I mean, I've, you'll see guys who are, you know, reaching their seventies, still riding their old steel bike, outpacing, you know, 40 or even 30 year olds on a carbon bike. You know, it's, it's all about who you are at that point. I fell for the marketing once I got a road bike and I also bought like the cleats and the shorts all oh, at the yeah. same time. And then I was like, oh, actually, I don't know that this sport's for me. <laughs> so <laughs> I fall off bikes. So an outdoor experience to me, because you know, I'm a fly fisher, I'm a rock climber. Usually I'm like outside in the woods, you know, pretty, not necessarily remote, but it's like, I feel like I'm out of the city. You're downtown Denver, whereas I'm in like the burbs. So like, how how do you feel like that exposure is like getting people in the urban outdoors? There has to be a, a parallel. Like it has to be just as good for someone, really. Coming from the architecture stance, it's you're talking about infrastructure and you know negotiating that and being able to go wherever you want without a lot of delay. That's where the bike becomes more of that urban piece. But you go back historically. I mean, the car is relatively new in history compared to a bicycle, right? And so streets and cities were made around pedestrian movement. I think once we start to equal that out again, it becomes more of a, a normal everyday and not kind of this, you know, cause you get these strange looks that it's 16 degrees out. It's like, why are you still on your bike? It's like, because it works, right? But I think as things will equalize, more people will see it as a norm and not kind of this this goofball out there on a 16 degree day riding his bike. So I feel like climbing and fly fishing, you're invested in keeping things as they are. I wonder if the whole urban cycling, you're invested in making things better. Yeah, I would say that's definitely, you're invested in improving it for more people to participate. You know, because a lot of people just don't feel safe. They want to do it, but, you know, if you've had a close call with a car or a pedestrian or something, you just, you don't want to do it as often. And so, yeah, I think that it's not about keeping it the same, but actually, as you say, changing it and making something that we all can feel safe in doing. Yeah, this is this is one of those kind of cliche questions, but it's actually really hard to answer, even though I get asked it. So why cycling? It goes back to when I bought that first bike in terms of having that freedom to go where I decide to go at this point. And and not having a lot of barrier to do that. It's always just stuck with me in terms of the way I, uh, I live at this point. When I was growing up, I, I grew up in the suburbs too, and I didn't have any sense of direction. And so I'd always get lost because I'd either be being driven by somebody or not have that direct engagement. And now it's like, I know which way the wind blows at a certain time of day because I'm on my bike. You just have this really keen sense of direction. And I see that my kids now too, it's, you know, they dress according to, you know, where that temperature is coming from. And that's just great because I would, you know, typical car culture kid, I'd probably put a short sleeve shirt on a light jacket because I knew I was going from a warm car to a warm building even though it was like really cold outside. So 
the bike for me is it's just um, is just about being having that freedom and, and being able to go without a lot of barrier. Yeah. Do you like? Uh, so I assume most times you're commuting by yourself. Do you like biking with people? Like, what's the different experience between solo biking and, and community biking? I love to bike with my family. It's fun to just be that uh, group. I call it the group ride. But yes, it's great to bike by yourself because, for instance, you have a hard day at work or you know you're going to have a hard day when you go in. It's that time to kind of gain thought, right? And you take a different route without hesitation. You know, a car, you have to think about, if I take a different route, what's that traffic going to be like? A bike, I can just do that. So, yeah, there are times on uh, when I'm alone on a bike that I can just decompress and, and gather thought. But I do enjoy biking with people because then you get to share things. You can share, you know, have you seen this? Have you seen that? So your main bike group is wife and kids? That is my current main okay. bike group, yes. And now that my kids are getting older, my daughter, who is entering uh, her teenage years, I have to keep up with her. It's kind that of, was my next question, yeah. was, was who's, you know, are they out biking you yet? My, my daughter is funny because she is very strong on a bike but doesn't know it. She just has one gear and it's a hard gear and it's all the time and I'm like where are we going <laughs> right? and then my son who's you know he's younger than she is is just trying his best to keep up <laughs> it's just it's funny but yeah they're, they're the group of choice and then my wife yeah she's just along for the ride you know she's all about the experience you know she'll you know at some point she'll be like I'll meet you there <laughs> right but she's a very avid cyclist it's funny I bought her a bike when she was expecting with our first child, our daughter, and she was quite upset with me actually. And she, and you know, she later told me she thought it was because I was uh, talking about body image, and, and I was like, that was the least thing from my mind, right? I was like, we just moved back to Colorado, you know, we can use these. So and, her it was like a step up from you buying her a vacuum cleaner kind of thing. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> right? And so she was so mad. She's probably mad too because I was spending money right before having a child. But she still rides that same bike and is inseparable from it. I mean, she is just nonstop biking. Yeah, I think, so your daughter, I think like 13, 14, when it was when about when I was, when if I was hiking with my dad, all of a sudden I found the sprint in me and I would just leave him in the dust and he would get so mad. But I think that's about when it happens is you just, yeah, find your own gears. and. Yeah, she's found that gear. But it's great because, you know, we, we talk about body image, right? And to be that strong on a bike or any kind of physical activity, your body image is going to be a bit different. And so she's probably too young to even know what to embrace those kind of things, but she doesn't she's not self-conscious about being who she is so that's a good thing and you know hopefully she'll want to continue doing that yeah it's 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 one of those pieces to where yeah she's outpacing me and it's I don't get frustrated I just it's like wow when did this happen <laughs> so you're really into biking your wife's really into biking and now you have two kids so I don't have kids yet but I might one day and of course, I would love them to be my climbing buddies, but it's just like, I don't want to force it on them to have them then spit it back at me. So like, it sounds like your kids love biking, though. So how did you sort of foster that love without kind of forcing it on them? Biking is a little bit different than climbing. If they want to go somewhere, they don't have a choice. We don't have a car. So, you know, I, I don't know if you would ask my kids if they love cycling. They'd say, oh, yeah, we love it. They just do it. Right, so it becomes part of their lifestyle. It's it's not something that they're kind of totally engaged in, but yeah, if you were to go to my kids and say, "Why do you love cycling?" They'd look at you like, 
uh, who told you that? <laughs> it's just something they have to do. And that's the thing when we talk about the social aspect of cycling or the community aspect of it, it's almost becomes necessity for a lot of people. And so, you know, it's not like a love hate thing. It's just something they do. And that's where my kids are at this point too. I think that's where my disconnect's happening. Cause like to me, everybody I see biking, it's their sport. Most of the people I know do it only on the nice days and still drive 90% of the time. But you guys are living this, it, like you said, it truly is a lifestyle. And I'm, that's where my connection, I'm just like, wow, people do this not just for fun. Like, <laughs> There's some days where I'd be like, gosh, I wish I was in a car, but I don't, I don't have one. So it's, it's not really that choice, right? Like I think at the end of the week, it's going to be 16 for the high. I have to pull out the long underwear, right? And uh, the mittens. Are you going to have to buy a car to teach him how to drive? Well, well, both the grandparents live here, so yes, and they both have cars, uh, and they both depend on them quite a bit. My mother is just, she hasn't told me this, but I'm pretty sure she's let Jade drive, (laughs) because she's just waiting for the day that Jade, that she could sit in in the passenger seat and just be driven around. Yes, so I'm pretty sure Jade's had driving experience before, but no one has told me yet. So do you think when she's 16, is she going to ask for a car? We've already anticipated that question. <laughs> yeah, that's not going to happen. It's just because I, I don't think she wants it, to be honest with you, because we've shown her so many ways to negotiate without one. And she's just also seen some, you know, things that have, for instance, like her grandparents' car breaks down or something like that. She's like, why would I want to deal with that? It's probably easier being so young when she made the conversion to Carlos mm-hmm. versus, you know, having... A whole small lifetime full of it why is it important for you to foster community like why is that the thing that you're kind of that you're chasing that you're working towards i would categorize myself as a person who has privilege in intellectual capital my parents are very educated so they've provided that for myself as a community if you show people that you know really there is no difference you know it might be the way we look but if i want to be treated fairly and I want to treat you fairly, then that's what a community does. It, it it takes care of each other, right? No matter who you are. And so that's why it's so important to me because that's that's the only way I know how to be able to break down those differences is building communities. You know, at the end of the day, you want to learn from different people, right? If, if everybody's very similar to you, then you, you become very, you become underexposed, right? And And your thought becomes very short-sighted, you know, and you almost become fearful because you just don't know, right? And when you have these really separate communities, that's where the fear comes in because you're so used to people who are very similar to you are and having that comfort level that you're not willing to engage and seeing what else is out there. So that's why it's important to me is to break down those barriers. So your shop's name is Chocolate Spokes. Is there chocolate? Yes, there's chocolate. <laughs> I get the question quite often. And, you know, and I always answer with a, there is a duality to the name. This being a predominantly African-American community, or was um, historically African-American community, you know, a lot of the people that had been here took a lot of pride, take a lot of pride in that name. You know, it's like someone's taking ownership of that, right? But then, yes, we carry chocolate. And the chocolate that we carry... Oh, you do? Oh, yeah. Oh, I, okay, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So <clears throat> having a name like that, you can't carry any kind of chocolate. <clears throat> And so what I've done is so since we make our own frames and bikes here, we work with people who are chocolate makers around the country. And so we work with a lot of bean to bar or a small batch chocolate makers. 
So back, back to the name, there is something empowering about taking ownership of a label that might make somebody outside of your community a little uncomfortable. Just like how my friends and I call ourselves gimps or like crips sometimes because we're just like making fun of that. What other people would be like, you call yourself that? I don't think you can. I'm like, well, we are because like now we own it. Now it's our word. It is taking ownership and, and wanting to understand. You, you want people to be comfortable in being able to express who they are. And, and if you can't do that, then it's, it's hard. Right. So if that's how you express yourself, then own it. It's funny how many sit-downs I'll do where someone's like, and your arm? Like they don't. I'm like, yeah, it's a stomp. Like you call it that. <laughs> it is what it is. You want to be able to talk openly with people. But at some point we're trying to be so sensitive about things. And yes, you want to be caring about another person. But at some point, too, you want to be open and and transparent and say, yeah, this is what we're about and this is how it feels and this is what I've been through and these are kind of the things that we have to adjust to. I think it's important that everyone should be comfortable enough to tell their own story. Yes, because we all have stories, right? You have to have a story or else you don't really exist. For photos and other stories of opting outside, go to REI.com slash blog. Next time, Gregory talks with photographer and videographer Keith Lidzinski. This is Take It From Me, the podcast from REI, the co-op that helps you get outside through gear, classes, and experiences. REI is dedicated to protecting the places we play, and they believe that a life outdoors is a life well-lived. I believe it too. So get outside and find your next adventure. <laughs>